Today's scripture is Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 23. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go, and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it, just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on this table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. I'm sure you're familiar with the saying, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? The idea behind the saying is, of course, that showing someone a picture of something can communicate or perhaps have a greater impact on them than just describing a thing in words, with words. There is uh, no doubt, this is no doubt true, and I know many of us can testify to that fact. However, I believe that if a picture is worth a thousand words, then an experience has to be worth a million. Showing someone a picture is fine and good, but allowing them to experience something is altogether different. For, for several years, I was told that Augusta National, where they, golf course, where they play the Masters, I was told was a beautiful place. Now, from television, it looked like a beautiful place. I saw the rolling hills. I could see uh, the green grass. And, and, and had, had, I could only assume by what people told me, by what I saw on the screen, that Augusta National is a beautiful place. But then I got to go. <laughs> I got to go to Augusta National, and I got to put my feet on that green, green grass, that plush green grass, right? I got to see the, the beautiful azaleas and the dogwoods that line the golf course. It was, it was an amazing place. And as they say, right, the experience just hits different. It's true. While you can hear someone speak words or see a picture and get a sense for a thing, 
an experience, you do understand, it engages all the senses. You see what is going on. You can take in the sounds and even feel the experience. Brothers and sisters, words are good, but, but I think it's the experience that makes things stick, where you can get it. That is what I believe we, we will see in our text this morning. As we have been looking at Jesus' encounter with those he came to save in the gospel of Luke, we have seen that much of those encounters have involved his disciples, right? Either they were the subject of the encounter, like when they were on the sea of Galilee and the waves were crashing on the boat and the disciples were frightened and Jesus came and he calmed the storm. Sometimes they were the di di direct result of, of his encounters or they were on the periphery looking in, like when Jesus brought to life Jairus' daughter. He brought Peter, James, and John in with him, and they were on the periphery as Jesus had an encounter with Jairus' daughter. The point being is that the disciples had been spent some time with Jesus. Some scholars say roughly three years. And throughout their time with Jesus, they had been taught many things uh, by him. Right? He communicated to them his mission, and he, he shared with them his commands. He explained to them uh, uh, the nature and the ethics of the kingdom. And, and you see Jesus, he taught them uh, employing a myriad of different means. Sometimes he would communicate with words, right? Other times he would demonstrate. He, he would provide examples and, and teach in parables. Jesus, if you did not realize while reading the scriptures that he was a, Jesus was a masterful communicator. And now, as his time on earth with his disciples was drawing to a close, he had one more lesson. One more lesson for them to hear, and in order to really make it stick, he was going to teach them through an experience. An experience. The disciples were about to have a tangible, clear, unforgettable encounter with Jesus. As was mentioned last week, Jesus was headed toward Jerusalem because the, the cross was in front of him. It has always been in front of him, but now it is imminent. It is, it is right there. The events of our text are taking place on the Thursday evening, the night before Jesus would climb Calvary's hill. He is with his disciples, and he instructs Peter and John to go into the city and to prepare the Passover meal for them. Now, I think we can assume that this was not the first Passover meal that Jesus had shared with his disciples, given that this was a celebration, according to Exodus 12 and 18, that was supposed to be observed every year by God's people. So this was a familiar practice. This was going to be a familiar meal that they had had perhaps before, but, but the instruction for Peter and John to go and prepare, prepare this Passover meal confused them a little bit. They had no idea 
where they were supposed to go. What do you mean, Jesus, go and prepare this meal? Where, where are we supposed to go? Not only that, you must understand that the Passover meal had specific elements involved that required a lot of preparation. So understandably, Peter and John question Jesus and say in Luke 22 and 9, where will you have us to prepare it, Lord? What are we supposed to do? What they did not know and what we often fail to realize or remember is that Jesus had a plan. Jesus always has a, has a plan. And his response to the disciples demonstrated this, Luke 22, 10 through 13. He said to them, in answering them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Uh, Jesus, you see, had a plan. Do you see the preparation and the intentionality of this time Jesus was seeking to spend with his disciples? This was according to a plan that had been set in motion before the foundation of the earth. Jesus long ago determined that it would be this night, this time, this Passover meal in this city where he would have this encounter with his disciples. The night was planned because you do understand the cross was planned. Acts 2 and 23, Peter on Pentecost tells us this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This very moment, a meal with his disciples, just like the cross, was orchestrated and foreordained by a sovereign God. Brothers and sisters, this should remind us and assure us that God plans everything. 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 And that includes our very lives. There is nothing random about the events and the circumstances of your lives. Nothing random. The fact that you're here is not random. It was planned and orchestrated by a sovereign God. Yes, yes, we make plans as the proverb says, but the Lord orders our steps. His plans, you do understand, trump our plans. And he is a good God. So you know what we need to do? We need to stop getting upset when our plans don't work out. Because you do realize that when your plans don't work out, that was part of the plan. Part of God's plan. <laughs> and God's plans always, always work out. Our lives are ordered and, and purposeful. And, and notice from the text, 
because they are ordered and planned by God, what he commands us to do, he has already prepared the means to accomplish it. In Acts uh, 18, 9 through 10, uh, Jesus, uh, the, the Lord, came in a vision to Paul one night. And he says, Paul, do not be afraid, right? Go on speaking and do not be silent. That's the, what he commanded him to do. He says, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. He gave Paul a command and then he prepared and, and planned and helped uh, accomplish the, 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 the plan that he had called Paul to. Ephesians 2 and 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works, calling us to good works, which he, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I think it was Augustine who said, God command what you will, but please will what you command. God's plans are followed by the promise of provision. And so notice in the text that Jesus, Jesus, that Jesus tells Peter and John to go and prepare the feast. But did you see how much he had already prepared? <laughs> Making it possible for them to fulfill what he commanded. He had someone in the city waiting. He had already made arrangements regarding the place. This is the, this is the nature and the character of the God we serve. He ordains the ends as well as the means to bring about those ends. Listen. Listen to the comforting words found in verse 13. So as to drive home the point. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they went and found it just as he had told them, planned out, purposeful, ordained by a sovereign and a good God. Jesus had a plan, and he had prepared for that plan. And what was that plan? Jesus planned a meal with his disciples. He planned a meal. Oh, and it was going to be a glorious meal with his disciples. On Jesus' mind and heart, was the Passover meal. And like I mentioned before, they perhaps shared this meal together in the past, but, but this one was going to be different. This meal with Jesus was going to prove to be unforgettable. And looking in hindsight, it was. The meal that they shared on this evening has been affectionately, uh, affectionately termed the Last sup Supper. It would be the last meal that Jesus would share with his disciples before going to the cross. A reality, you do realize, that he had shared with them on multiple occasions. He had been telling them about this time, warning them about this. In Luke 9 and 22, he told them, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. He told them again in Luke 9 and 44, 
Let these words sink into your ears, he tells them. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Then, finally, in Luke 18, 31 through 33, and taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, here's what they will do. They will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise. On three different occasions, Jesus told them, boys, I'm to cross. They, they are going to put me to death. But you know what Luke told us in ver, uh, uh, verse 34 of chapter 18? But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. You know, I, I like movies. I like movies that require you to pay attention to the details and the clues shared throughout the storyline in order to, to fully understand the plot, right? You know those movies that get to the end and and they begin to flash back to earlier scenes, making connections that you didn't see before, but now you see them and, and, and everything kind of opens up and now makes sense, the movie makes sense to you. I like to think that this was the disciples after the resurrection. <laughs> right? They, they began to piece together the conversations and, and the experiences and, and the teachings that Jesus had been, had been teaching them. And then all of a sudden, it began to make sense. But that clarity wouldn't come until after the resurrection. On this Thursday evening, on the eve of the crucifixion, the disciples were still lost. They were still confused about what was on the horizon, but Jesus was about to reveal a significant piece of the storyline. He was about to reveal through an experience why he came and what his pending death would mean. His teaching prompt was the Passover meal. The disciples were very familiar with the Passover meal, as I said, it was an annual celebration. But this celebration was to commemorate God's miraculous rescue and salvation of his people from Egypt. Perhaps you're familiar with the account and, and you've read it before in Genesis 12. But if not, let me catch you up because it is important to the text, to understanding the text. God's final plague in judging Egypt for Pharaoh's mistreatment of God's people was to send an angel to kill every firstborn male in Egypt. But God, God in his judgment, as is always the case, was merciful and provided a way of escape from his judgment. He told his people that each household was to take from their flock a lamb. And they were to sacrifice a, a lamb without spot or, spot or blemish. They were to kill it, sacrifice it, and, and take that lamb's blood and put it upon their, the doorposts of their homes. And if they followed that instruction, God promised the following in Exodus 12, 
12 through 13. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall, befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God had promised to spare those who followed his instructions. He says when, when he saw the blood, when he sees the blood, he would pass over, hence the name for the celebration, pass over them as he carried out his judgment. This is what the disciples that evening believed they were celebrating. This was the historical significance they had on their minds. But boy, were they in for a shock. Jesus enjoying this Passover meal with his disciples does the unthinkable, the unimaginable, the unmistakable in, in Luke twenty-two nineteen and 20. He says this. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. With this, with this statement and subsequent actions with his disciples, Jesus was not just telling them. He was showing them that he was the Paschal Lamb. He, the, the, that lamb that was sacrificed on Passover, he had come to be that forever lamb. His body was about to be given up, his blood was about to be poured out, and he was going to do that for them. His body given for them. His blood shed for them. Why? Why would he do this? Because he was the sacrifice they needed to have the wrath and the judgment of God for sin pass over them. The Passover in Egypt, you understand, was just pointing to the ultimate salvation that would come in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This was no ordinary Passover meal. <laughs> At this meal, Jesus changed things forever. Jesus was instituting at this meal a new thing. He was instituting a new remembrance, and he was instituting a new anticipation. A new thing, a new remembrance, and a new anticipation. A new thing. In this meal, Jesus was giving his disciples a new sign, a new sign, a new sign of the new covenant, a, a new family that was not tied along human bloodlines, right, but along the lines of the blood of Christ. Verse 20, Luke, this cup is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This new covenant would be established according 
not according, excuse me, to the blood of bulls and goats, but by the all-sufficient blood of Christ. The writer to the Hebrews reminds us of this in Hebrews 9 and 12. He says, he entered, speaking of Jesus, once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means what of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. He would go on later to say in Hebrews 9 and 15, therefore Christ is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Jesus, in this meal with his disciples, established a new thing a new covenant established in his sacrificial blood. No more bulls and goats at Passover. His blood was shed once, and it perpetually covers those who are trusting in Christ. Listen, if you are in Christ, the only reason you and I are not consumed, the only reason you and I are not currently suffering under the wrath of God but have his favor is because the blood of Christ covers us. Yes, yes, we say, yes, we say when Jesus looks, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And yes, he does see Jesus. But even more than that, he sees us covered with the blood of Jesus. And when he sees the blood, you know what he does? He passes over us. Passes over us. It's the blood. That's why we sing, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners, you know what they are? Plunged beneath that flood, plunged, covered with his blood, lose all their guilty stains. All of them because of the blood shed for us. A new covenant, a new thing established in his blood. This is what he was instituting in this meal, a new, a new thing. But he also was instituting a new remembrance. Verse 19, upon the breaking the bread, Jesus says to his disciples, do this, do this in remembrance of me. In the Passover, God's people were to celebrate and remember God's salvation and the rescue of them out of Egypt. That's what they were remembering in the Passover meal. But God's desire, remember, was for that to be a pointer to the greater salvation that, that was going to be God's people in Jesus. And he would not rescue them from Egypt. He would rescue God's people from sin and death. The Passover meal was instituted to, to, to cause God's people to remember Egypt. This new meal was instituted to cause them to remember the cross. That's when Paul gives the instructions for observing the Lord's Supper. He uses remembrance twice, and he ties it to the cross. 1 Corinthians 11, 24, and 26. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Listen, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When, when we come to this Passover, when we come to this meal, we remember Jesus in his death. We're not remembering salvation from Egypt. We're remembering the cross in the eating of the bread and the drinking of the wine. The disciples were instructed to remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Remember the sinless, perfect life he lived. They were to remember him in his death, but most importantly, to remember and trust that the life he lived and the work he completed was for them. For them, for them, the, the, the bread and the, and the wine signified Jesus' life given and poured out for them. Saved, from e saved not from Egypt, saved from sin. Oh, Jesus instituted this new remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. Lastly, Jesus instituted a new anticipation, a new, a new thing, a new remembrance, and a new anticipation. When God's people celebrated Passover, they were looking forward to the salvation that would come in the Messiah, but now Jesus was pointing them to look forward to, to his return, to his return. Luke 22 and 16, he says, Jesus tells them, for, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom, this meal that they were sharing. And then in Luke 22 and 18, he says, for I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus was letting them know that this meal that they were sharing, it wasn't the final meal. They had something to look forward to. This was a pointer. There was a greater meal coming, and one in which they would share together in the coming kingdom. John speaks of this meal in Revelation 19 and 9. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. They, Jesus was inviting them to the marriage supper of the Lamb, pointing to them to this final glorious supper that they were going to enjoy in the coming kingdom. Every time from that point forward, they, they would observe the Lord's Supper. They, they would anticipate the return of Jesus. Anticipate sharing that great and glorious supper with him in the kingdom. Oh, when, when Christ, the bridegroom, will be wedded to his bride, the church, and, then, and when they would share in the meal together, celebrating, celebrating God's glory in the saving of his people. This was the new anticipation that he was instituting with them that night before his death on the cross. Jesus 
in the Last Supper, he instituted a new thing, a new remembrance, and a new anticipation. Everything I have just shared about this meal, everything I've just stated, Jesus was communicating with the institution of this sacrament, the sacrament that we call the Lord's Supper. Perhaps you're wondering, why didn't Jesus just say all that? Why didn't he just teach them that with his words? Why not just say it? Why the bread? Why, why the wine? All of that could have been communicated by Jesus by just telling them these things. Why, why would he do that? Because, brothers and sisters, an experience is worth a million words. Yes, Jesus could have just told them. And throughout his time with them, he did tell them. But this time he gave them something that would stick. Something that, 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 that they could smell and, and, and touch and, and taste. This is my body. This is my blood. He was allowing them to, to taste and see that he was good. Giving an unforgettable, repeatable practice that would remind them and, and strengthen and encourage them in the grace of God. What an amazing and a glorious experience he gave to his disciples that evening. The disciples had a meal with Jesus. Don't, don't, don't you wish you could have been there and that you could have experienced it and seen it? What an amazing experience. Brothers and sisters, you do. If you come to East Point Church every Sunday, you experience it every week. Every week. You and I have an experience worth a million words. A million words. Listen, listen, listen. Each week, each week we preach. Pastor Tony, you could attest to this. Each week we preach, we proclaim Jesus with our words, and we work hard. We work hard to try to say much of the same things in a different way every week so that it would stick, so that you would get it. We do our best to wordsmith and, and illustrate the magnitude and the gravity of God's love, and we try to impress upon you the scandalous nature of his mercy and the wideness of his grace. We labor to communicate the life of Jesus and, and his death and his resurrection and all that is accomplished for you and what that means for you and your, your life and the difference it makes. Oh, brothers and sisters, the words are good. But can I tell you what is better? The experience of the table. Every week, you and I get to take in our hands and taste upon our lips the body and blood of Jesus given for us. Given for us. It's a table for sinners those who recognize that their need of Jesus and come to the table hungry and thirsty. Are you hungry and thirsty for grace this morning? Are you hungry and thirsty for it? We get to come to the table and dine and be satisfied with Jesus. Listen, communion is not an after-sermon snack. <laughs> it's not an after-sermon snack. No, no, no. It's a satisfying meal. 
It's soul food. It's soul food, brothers and sisters. Food that feeds and nourishes our souls. Oh, oh, don't, don't get caught up. Don't go, get caught up in that little, little cracker and that small sip of wine. Those are not what fill us. Brothers and sisters, we are feasting on Christ. His life, his death, and his resurrection. At the table, we get a foretaste of heaven, and we anticipate that great, glorious meal that we are going to enjoy in the coming kingdom. Oh, this is what the sign was instituting, brothers and sisters. Oh, and you know what? We're just not enjoying a meal with each other. We are having a meal with Jesus, just like the disciples. Yes, he is here with us, spiritually dispensing his grace and his mercy, serving us as he served the disciples, saying to us as he said to the disciples, this is my body, this is my blood. Take, eat, drink, enjoy with your brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, oh, oh, I can tell you about it. And I can show you a picture of the bread and the wine, but there is something that will make it stick. You have to experience the meal. That's why we come to the table every week. Ah, because the table says it a lot better than I can, brothers and sisters. Oh, don't neglect the table. It's more than just bread and wine. Oh, it speaks, proclaims the, the Lord's death. We receive the body and blood of Jesus. Oh, we receive his grace afresh and anew. It strengthens us. It causes us to remember and anticipate that great meal that you and I are going to enjoy one day. Are you going to be there, brothers and sisters? Oh, trust Jesus. That's how you'll be there. Trust Jesus. Oh, thank him for the meal. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Oh, if it had not been for the blood of Jesus, we would be consumed, deserving of your full unmitigated wrath poured out on us. But instead of pouring it out on us, you poured it out on your son Jesus. His body given. His blood shed for us. Oh, we thank you for his perfect obedience in his life and even in his death and for the power of the resurrection that makes all of this possible and worth it. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the table. It's in his name we pray. Amen.